passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, September 18th, 2022. And I'm joined to my, this is my immediate south, even though it's over here to the side, and to my to my east by Chris Gullo and Jesse Collings, respectively. Those, those directions were not, were not good. Were they not good? They were the complete opposite. You, when you were pointing to your south, you were pointing yes. to your east, and then yes. when you were pointing to your east, you were pointing to yourself. Well, we're we're, we're broadcasting today from the metaverse. Uh, the 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 normative universe is is different from the metaverse. Uh, but yes, uh, Chris Gull, what are we what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss would a Warner Brothers Discovery NBC Universal merger what would that mean for wrestling talk about the possibility of that we're going to actually also discuss the popularity of uh pro wrestling currently uh kind of a uh, little of a data reaction to a tweet that was tweeted out this I've week heard there's a new boom period yeah new boom period yes also going to discuss some changes to the WWE board of directors and much more um, you're re- that's all we're talking about today. It's not, it sounds like you're, you're bearing the lead to our YouTube viewers today that, uh, you, you are without facial hair today. I am provided some update on that. Sure. Yeah. I was trying to trim up my goatee and line it up a little bit different. And, uh, I took too much off on the one side and, uh, I just shaved it all off and I'm rebooting. I looked, I had a mustache for about a minute. Right, I heard about this. You, you, you denied <laughs> our, our viewers the opportunity to see you in a mustache. True, yeah, true it, or false? Can you confirm it, that? Um, I can confirm that it was way too creepy. <laughs> the peak of the the peak of the mask wearing phase of the pandemic was the optimal time to experiment with facial hair. Yeah, like you could have kept the mustache, and you wouldn't have had to actually reveal it in public. You could have had it like on the side for for a long period of time. That is, yeah, so that's true. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, if people want to participate, how do they do that, Chris Gullo? Yeah, so we actually have a super chat option here on the YouTube stream. Uh, when you ask your questions, a little dollar sign, put any amount that you see fit, and we will answer your questions throughout the show as they seek fit with the conversation. Yes. So we have a, a, another another week here. We've done programs in the past where we we talked about you know what uh, what was the potential what's the potential value of AEW's TV deal in the next round. Um, does it, is David Zaslav the second coming of Jamie Kellner? Is he going to kill wrestling? And we have to do this again. Um, as, as more news from the big media world has emerged, uh, you know, this is not just a wrestling podcast. This is a media podcast. And The Hollywood Reporter is the story, is the publication with the story that is setting uh, some wrestling fans off. This uh, in, in recent days, um, the Hollywood Reporter reported what, what, what was this? The um, 
the 16th, which was two days ago, so that was Friday, um, the Hollywood Reporter reported uh, this. Given WBD, that is Warner Brothers, Discover- Warner Brothers Discovery's daunting challenges, it has become accepted wisdom at the highest levels of the industry that another deal waits in the wings for Warner Brothers Discovery. For reasons related to the complicated structure of that merger, no negotiations between NBCU and WBD could happen until April 2024. But at that point, many industry observers believe that Comcast's Brian Roberts will make a long-awaited move looking to combine NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery. That deal would face some interesting antitrust issues, but would give his company scale and a viable streaming service. Obviously, Peacock sucks, says one exec with knowledge of both companies. There are some good synergies. I'm sure Roberts is licking his chops because WBD stock is so low, and I think that's Zaslav's endgame. Get the place sold, end quote. Uh, Brian Roberts and NBCU CEO Jeff Schell met with Zaslav and board member John Malone during the Allen & Co. gathering in Sun Valley last July, but given the rules against plotting any combination, that was no doubt just a friendly get-together. A WBD spokesperson responds that, quote, we are building Warner Brothers Discovery for the long term, end quote. So uh, this couldn't happen. I mean, it's a de- deadline makes, or this is not deadline. This is Hollywood Reporter makes it sound like a lot of people in the media industry take it as a foregone conclusion almost that Warner Brothers Discovery and NBCU, which is currently a part of Comcast, sounds like Comcast would spin it off or somewhere or another NBCU would, it's, that, that's what I gather from this. Maybe you guys read it differently, but the NBCU would separate from Comcast and become one with Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, again, this couldn't happen until April 2024 at the earliest. So that's the earliest they can begin negotiating about it, apparently because of some restrictions related to the merger between Warner Brothers, that is Warner Media and Discovery, which has happened most recently. Um, what would this mean for the wrestling business, if anything? Me? Do you want me to go? Yeah, you <laughs> go first. Anyway. Yeah, you go first. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I. Dude, I don't really have like a particular ton of interest in this story, if only because it's to- the speculation on it seems so rampant in the sense that they can't. We're talking about tw- was it April twenty twenty four, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about that, and that's just when they can start negotiating legally, of course. Um, which so it's not like a merger is going to be happening on on April first, twenty twenty four, and it just seems like the way the media landscape has changing between now and then was it eighteen months, twenty months from now seems impossible to to assume. We don't know what the media landscape is going to look like. We don't know what the streaming world is going to look like we don't know what the economy in general is going to look like um we don't know what cable television is going to look like we can have some assumptions based on trends that exist currently but we don't really have a clear picture at all about what's going to happen in the media landscape now the article gives off several um, quotes from people in the industry who seem pretty convinced that this is the trend that this is the what's going to happen or that this is where things are going, but it, that seems like a, it seems like such a long period of time between now and then to really get too worked up about the potentials in the wrestling industry. I guess the biggest one would be that it would 
mean that WWE's main television partner, which is NBCU, and AEW's main television partner, which is Warner Brothers Discovery, would become one company, and therefore one company would be the main television partner for both of these wrestling companies, assuming that they're, they're, both of those wrestling companies are still signed to television deals um, in the future with those entities, which is not a guarantee. I, I think it's very likely that, I mean, we're talking about April 2024 when they could legally begin negotiating. Um, by that time, the new deals wouldn't be into effect, but are probably signed, whatever they are. I, I strongly expect WWE and NBC Universal to make some sort of extension of their current agreement, probably continuing to carry Raw. Um, who knows what happens with SmackDown? NBC Universal could end up with SmackDown too, but I don't know. Um, I imagine that AEW and Warner Brothers Discovery end up in, a, in an extension of their current relationship. I imagine Dynamite stays on some on probably on TBS on some sort of Warner Brothers Discovery property. Um, so by that time, if they even were to seriously talk about merging, um, the the deals are probably already done at that point. Um, that might jeopardize the future of of WWE in the Warner in, in this theoretically, you know, hypothetically merged company. I guess that could jeopardize the future in like a, a further deal in the next term, but I don't see it as like. You know, I've seen people talk this week about, well, if if WWE and AEW end up being content on the same media platform, then WWE is going to strong arm their network to push AEW off a cliff. And I, I don't think that's going to happen if, if, if we even get to that point. Um, because I think those, those deals are made, and I think the content providers have, don't have the leverage over the media company at that point. Um, and then there's the other factor of, you know, WWE could end up being acquired by NBC Universal uh, by this point. Um, but it's all, all very hypothetical. And I, I am, I'm frustrated by the, the, the speculation and, and the anxiety that, that people have in response to stories like this, that I think are, I don't know, I think are, the, 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 the doom speculation is, is too much. Could we have a prevention of this happening in the aspect of maybe when WWE signs their next deal, they do a no, a no compete where, hey, you, NBC Universal, you know, can we have you don't acquire any other wrestling programs or anything like that just to kind of prevent this? I don't know. Maybe not prevent the merger, but prevent yeah them sharing that. Um, the second thing, too, I... Do I believe NBC, Universal, Comcast, and Warner Brothers Discovery are talking? Yes. I think they're discussing something else. I said this before, and I have like no inside sources, but I'm telling you, they're shopping DC comic properties because they're in huge debt, and that would be a huge, huge, huge uh, payoff for them. And NBC, Universal, where do they benefit from it? They have amusement parks. They have a film studio. That would be a huge purchase for them. They, they could do TV shows. Peacock would then get Batman movies and all this and that. I, I'm done. I, I mean, like, I'm just hypothetical here, but like, yes. In regards to your leverage point, Brandon, like, so the NFL, which is an, obviously an enormous media partner with CBS and Fox and NBC and ESPN, these alternative football leagues that are popping up, whether you the XFL 2.0 or 3.0 or the um, the USFL or any of these other ones that have been launched in recent years, yes. those 
football leagues have signed deals with CBS and, and Fox and uh, I think ESPN. I'm not sure, but those. So the NFL is not blocking rival football leagues or, or whatnot from um, appearing college on college football for that matter. Arguably. Yeah, college football. You could you can you can point to different sports entities, right? College football. Um, if you have a big ESPN has a big deal with one conference, it doesn't stop them from negotiating with another college football conference. ESPN has La Liga, the Spanish soccer league, but they also have Serie A, the Italian soccer league. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, we've seen this at least in other sports where the TV company, the, the the media company, has deals with different entities that are within the same industry. It's not necessarily exclusive deals with one partner and the even if this merger happens the the number of like networks is unlikely to decrease maybe the number of streaming options is likely to decrease but it's not like tbs and tnt will just evaporate and go away they'll those networks are still always going to need content that draws steady revenue and steady viewership on even if they merge and where are you going to find that where are you going to find a, a company that, a sh- or a program that's going to do as well as AEW would be almost impossible. You can't. It's another. People speculate this. Well, they'll fill it with, you know, WWE superstars and main events and uh, NXT level up, but that's not going to do the same numbers. It's not even going to be close. Uh, Re- wrestling pettiness is different though than football and all these soccer and all these other leagues. Like WWE just might want to make a point that hey, we'll sign this new deal with you. But we don't want any other wrestling programming. I mean, but I know. What's their leverage they, for that? Right. I, if anybody would, have I know it doesn't have to be leverage. It would be these other leagues, including the NFL, maybe including the soccer leagues. And, and but yeah, I, I, I understand Gullo's point in the sense that the wrestling, like like WWE, probably views AEW in a much more competitive, need to strangle it in the crib sense than the NFL would view like the relaunched XFL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think the. You know, the wrestling media and wrestling fans tend to have a wrestling centric view of the world that I that I don't think is relevant in, the, in this case, right? Like, it, I, I I don't think you know where does where in the in the pecking order does wrestling line up among all their content for either of these companies? It's very low. So I think the leverage that they would have, the idea that Nikon would would you know in twenty twenty four twenty twenty five go go to the the merged you know network and say hey if you if you don't uh, drop AEW if, if if they don't drop AEW then what you're, you're going to not provide Raw and or SmackDown to them which which is your biggest source of revenue uh, you're not going to air those programs on their networks which is your biggest and mo- you know, most important uh, medium of reach to reach your audiences to to make your your product and your company relevant and, and to sell your tickets and branded your merchandise. Brandon, we know exactly what they're going to do. Those companies will not be able to provide and carry WrestleMania 4. That's right. We've, we've seen this all before. Uh, this is just Jim Crockett all over again. <laughs> Wrestling uh, Betty, this. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, I understand, but I, I wish people had more of a, 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 a broad view of the media ecosystem when they talk about stuff like this. Uh, well, admit- so the Tubi lawsuit with MLW True. would would give at least a little bit of insight depending yes. on how legitimate you believe that lawsuit is um, in the case that, that MLW has with 
allegedly was Stephanie McMahon is called up the, Fox and the the story of you know the, the allegations that that MLW raises is that MLW is on the verge of making and announcing a deal with Tubi, which is a a fast, a free ad supported streaming TV service that Fox owns. Uh, MLW says that MLW and Tubi were on the verge of announcing that deal. And then at the 11th hour, Stephanie McMahon came in and intervened and went to Fox executives and perhaps 2V executives and got that deal killed, according to MLW, which has, has, yet, has yet to raise, I don't know, further evidence that this happened. But uh, that's what they claim in their lawsuit. There should be some updates on that, I believe, by the end of this month. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what they claim. Um, that's, I think that's a, a very different, let's assume all that's true. Um, I think that's very different. We're talking about a deal that is yet to be announced at least. I think the, I think the MLW complaint says that they basically had agreed to the deal, but then to be canceled it, that that's different from, uh, a network that has a show dynamite that's performing number one or number two. In, in the demo on its on its night among cable originals, that's a really important program for its network. MLW on Tubi had yet to air, had yet to to demonstrate value. Uh, so I think it's a very different situation, even if all that is true. Anything else to add here? No. Okay. Moving on to uh, another story from. The broader media universe. Uh, this one from Deadline this is about the the TNets. I think that this story gives us a little bit of insight into just what the what the future of the TNets are. That is TNT, TBS, and True TV. We're especially interested, of course, in TNT and TBS because those are the homes of AEW content. Um, Deadline reports this week. Uh, there probably has been no other division of Warner Media more impacted by the Discovery merger than the TNETs, which consists of TNT, TBS, and True TV. In the span of a couple of months after the transaction was completed, they got new leadership with Discovery's Kathleen Finch adding them to, to her portfolio, while the previous toppers exited General Manager Brett White, Senior Vice President of Original Programming Adrian Orion, and Unscripted Chief Corey Henson. The show Snowpiercer. TNT's post-apocalyptic drama starring Jennifer Conley and David Diggs may be the last of the kind of high-end prestige drama, big stars, and budgets uh, in the $7 million to $8 million an episode range that the network has been doing since The Alienist in 2018. TNT is now looking for more cost-effective series that don't go after A-list movie talent and would complement the tentpole sports-slash-unscripted programming on TNT as well as the rest of the WBD suite of linear networks under Finch. That could include wrestling-themed shows, as AEW is a major draw on TNT, and scripted series that have the feel of some of the signature Discovery docuseries, uh, like The Deadliest Catch, IP-based genre series also are being explored, we hear. Before taking the turn to big-budget premium dramas under previous programming chief Kevin Riley, TNT had success with original crime procedurals that complemented its roster of off-network crime dramas, most notably The Closer and its spin-off major crimes. 
There remains some confusion among unscripted agents and producers as to the TNET's messaging, with one source saying Finch's comments have been, quote, inconsistent, end quote, with remarks from some of its other network executives. Industry insiders argue that the TNETs will need to keep offering desirable originals rather than a slate of repeats of discovery shows such as 90 Day Fiance for WBD to justify the significantly higher affiliate fees cable and satellite operators pay for those networks compared to the usual discovery cable networks. However, the TNET's main attraction is sports. TNT and TBS boast NBA and Major League Baseball coverage, wrestling, and last year, they, they closed a big seven-year NHL deal. Uh, additionally, they have NCAA basketball games. In today's environment, proliferation of streaming live sports is what drives premium for linear networks with entertainment considered an additive. Um, so that's, I don't know. Who knows what's underlying that, the real information, real events that are underlying that report from Deadline. But that's encouraging to hear if you're AEW, I would think, that. They value things that are alive. They value sports. And if they're going to justify that as they being TNTBS are going to justify affiliate fees, which is something we've touched on here before, that all these discovery networks, which are loaded with unscripted reality shows and food network and things like that, discovery, the food network, TLC, the History Channel is a part of the Discovery World, right? All those networks do not have high affiliate fees. So the, the cost that is being passed down to you, the cable or satellite subscriber, that's for Discovery Networks very low. But for networks in the Warner Media universe, including the TNETs, that carry sports, including TNT and TBS, those networks do have significant affiliate fees, maybe something like $3 per subscriber or something like that, uh, which is not something that Discovery has ever, up to this point, really had to manage domestically. So what happens going forward with that is I would think that they're going to continue to value sports, and maybe that helps AEW justify a good TV deal in the future. We've seen this kind of speculation in the past when especially post-merger with TNT and TPS announcing the cancellations of a lot of their scripted shows. And there's just, I guess the debate is where AEW falls into the category. Are they considered a scripted show that the company, that the company is looking to kind of shed from its profile on these kind of networks, or do they fall into the dynamic live programming similar to professional sports that the company is going to want to continue to promote? This deadline article seems to indicate that, the, at least from in that perspective, the, the view is that they fall closer to live sports or the kind of dynamic programming that they want to have. Something I found interesting in the article was that they mentioned that Snowpiercer, they said, was about 7 or $8 million yes. per, per episode. Yes. So they have 10-episode seasons. So we're talking about $75 million on Snowpiercer alone for 10 hours of first run content yes. a year. Um, and so and how does remind, that compare to AEW? Does anybody yes, know? Can you remind that to us to what the, what's what, what, it's 45, 40, yeah. 40, yeah, 45, 44. I, I would say it's 175 over 175 million over four years. That comes out to like 43.75. So about $44 million a year, probably escalating with each year by like five to 10%. 
But anyway, that comes out to like $800,000 per episode. Rampage and Dynamite. Rampage and Dynamite. Mm-hmm. That's and three hours of weekly content. Right. We're all. talking about 10 hours of television a year versus well over 100 hours. 100, 160, right? Almost. So so you said, and I don't know, Snowpiercer is 10, ep- 10 episodes a year? 10, 10 episodes episode a season? Yeah. How many seasons per year? They have about, they've had, my understanding is they've had one season per year. Okay. They've had a season so, in, tw- they had a season in 2020, 2021, and 2022. And they have, I think season 20, the season four is, I don't know when season four is debuting, but. So anyway, if we take the low end of that range, 7 million per episode, 10, and only 10 episodes a year, that still comes out to $70 million a year, which is. Almost twice as much. If we take the high end, it's it's nearly twice as much as what AEW is getting. Um, and it's not performing nearly as well from a ratings perspective either. Right. Maybe there's – I mean there's – that that's certainly in first run. Um, I imagine that there's more than just first – that that Snowpiercer is being used for more than just first run airings. I'm sure they fill it. On, on other time slots throughout the week, and maybe there's streaming value in it. Maybe there's licensing of it internationally. So there may be other things that, that don't immediately jump to mind for us here in terms of how they're extracting value from a series like that. But, but even if, that, that's a huge difference. Even if you fill it with sitcoms, right? So, like, the average sitcom can run for 22 episode seasons. And that's, I believe, it's like anywhere from 3.5 to 5 million an episode for a, for a sitcom and that's just for 22 episodes that's 77 million there so like it's Wrestling just is cheap program yeah and we have i guess this is based purely on just speculation and no real knowledge on my behalf so before i go forward i'll just clarify that i don't really know that much about what i'm talking about but I feel like from a television perspective we lived in a world not that long ago like 10 years ago we'll say where kind of the T-Nets, their main competitors, were finding tremendous success in scripted television shows. First, both on FX, which would be one of their main competitive cable stations, and as well as AMC. Um, and it seems like there was a big rush, both from the T-Nets, and we also saw USA attempt this as well, to create their own kind of prestigious scripted television shows that kind of maybe didn't exist as much in previous generations of cable television and it feels like now that the streaming world has taken off that that has kind of slipped and we don't have shows like we i mean better call Saul just had its finale on amc but you don't see the kind of massive hit shows that you used to see um either either on fx or on amc and i think the turner networks at least are, are recognizing that maybe they need to shift from you know, pumping money into a, a prestigious show like Snowpiercer with, you know, Hollywood actors and, and getting adapting it from, you know, a, a, a successful movie uh, and instead looking for like we've, we've talked about more live, maybe reality show, maybe docu-series and of course live sports programming. And it seems like they're finally hitting that shift in the, the nature of what we're, the future of cable television is because, I mean, if you watch the Emmys – or followed at least the results of the Emmys. It wasn't like cable television was cleaning up. It wasn't like network television was cleaning up. All of the awards, for the most part, went to streaming networks, programs. That's where the prestige is at the moment. And I don't know if you're going to be able to find that on on, on cable networks in the future. Right. 
Yeah, I, I just think you know, over time we're going to continue to see sports and news be where where cable gets its value, where that, that's where people are going to consume sports and news because it has to be live. Maybe eventually streaming picks that up too because they can do live broadcasts just like cable can and, and broadcast can. But yeah, and the, and strip, scripted programming continues to be this thing that you can watch at any time. You can watch The Sopranos you know, episodes from 1999. People still do. Uh, just just as well as they watch Better Call Saul from you know, yes, the, I'm watching The Wire right now. Are you? That's the greatest show of all time. We, we've referenced The Wire on here. <laughs> yes, we have. We've uh, we've yeah. We've I just taken, finished. I finished season one last night. We've taken lessons from Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell taught us about price and elasticity. I think he taught us about. Yeah, that's and, in the first season. He takes the class at the community college and then starts talking about it on the street corner. Yeah. Yeah. You guys think you have an elastic product. You don't. You have an inelastic that's right. product. That's right. Um, yeah, so big, big fan of The Wire. Also, there's the, uh, I guess it's like a spinoff of The Wire, kind of. The, the, it's, a, it's a short, limited series that I, I don't know what's, it must be on HBO Max, right? With, um, it's it's just, it's another, like, Baltimore police drama. Um, just. Is that, um, uh, what's it called? I'm going to look it up now. It's yeah, that you, is it is it Oz? No, 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 no. no oh. It's 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 new. It's 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 like oh. came out in last year. Um, anyway, uh, if uh, if anybody knows in the chat, you can remind yeah. us. We actually do have a super chat. Uh, do we? Yes, Tim B. Uh, does the TV deal timeline line up where we could see a fiscal quarter where AEW is the most profitable re- wrestling company in history for a short time? How would that work, Tim B? Um, no, <laughs> probably not. Because AEW, what he's I think asking is if AEW's next television deal could be bigger than WWE's current television deal, and that there could be a period of time where AEW is making more money than WWE because the television deal, their their next generation television deal, would hit sooner. But that's not going to happen. That's not the way the timeline lines up, right? And no, but I, that's what I think a he's like getting at. There. Okay. That's where that's where I would say like that's where he thinks that could happen. So, a couple things here then. WWE's current Raw and SmackDown deals in the U.S. expire at the end of September 2024. AEW's deals, assuming the options picked up, expire the following December. So three months apart there. So AEW, if they both get massive increases, let's just assume they both get massive increases. Um, AEW get, starts getting the payments after. W starts getting their first new deal payments. Um, secondly to that, I don't think AEW is going to end up with a higher deal than WB. Yes, this is the program. I'm the person who's made the argument that if you just look at ratings, you can make an argument that AEW is undervalued by 3x to 5x based on what they deliver compared to what W delivers, what the NHL delivers based on ratings and and the amount of content in terms of hours provided per week even if they got a 5x increase right even if w even if we multiplied aw's 44 times 5 that's 220 million dollars average annual value for dynamite and rampage that's 220 what's what's raw by itself worth average annual value anybody know two fit is it 250 265 265 just for raw would still currently still exceed that not to mention if they got an increase 
at 1.5x, which I, I, is, is my base case and Morgan Stanley's base case for, for expectations, right? And then SmackDown is an additional 205. So they're getting $470 million average annual value right now. 470. If you multiplied AEW by five ahead of that, you're still only at 220 versus 470. If I'm understanding the question right, the answer is no. Thank you, Timmy. <laughs> uh, do we have anything else up? No, that's what we have there for Super Chats. Ooh. Okay. Um, moving on to Tony Khan's tweet on also on Friday. Tony Khan tweets. Right now, numbers say wrestling is hot. Many of us lived through a prior wrestling boom or booms and know some telltale signs. Have you had friends who ask you about wrestling lately looking to catch up? Have you gotten questions about wrestling from people who have never asked before? Um, have either of you experienced these sorts of questions in recent memory? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Not not entirely. I don't know about ca- catching up, but I would say like a, specific, a lot with the Vince McMahon scandal. People ask me what's going on hmm. and how. Oh, so what's going to happen? What's going to what's going to what's going to happen to WWE? Vince McMahon is in charge, and then trying to explain to them what my belief of Triple H's vision of wrestling is. Um, I think when AEW first launched, there was more maybe curiosity in the sense that people were like, yeah, what's this AEW? What's that thing? You know, they might have saw it advertised during the NBA playoffs or something like that where they were watching it. Um, but I don't really get a lot. Of, but that would be the extent of it. I don't necessarily have I don't feel like I get a lot of people talking to me who are really invested in potentially watching again. I think it's more people who are curious about what's happening to the wrestling, but will aren't necessarily interested in feeling like the product itself is hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, and the interest from people just be like, oh, you know, what is this AEW? Or, oh, is that where, you know, Dean Ambrose is now? Like, those questions. But no one's saying, oh, so tell me what happened on Dynamite last week. So they kind of, you know, you know I should definitely watch that. They just kind of, oh, that big star, they heard they're over there, or that big thing. Like, I got a couple questions on the CM Punk stuff. So what's the CM Punk press conference thing? They didn't know any of the details or anything like that. They just saw something on Twitter, and they were just curious. So like, more um, importantly, oh, go ahead. No one is coming up to me asking me about Dominic Mysterio and joining no, Judge. No. <laughs> no, no. Um, more I don't have a are beard barber though, so that, if I had one, barber. I might ask That's about true. that. They would, they would, they would at least ask you about Bad Bunny, um, or maybe Logan Paul. Um, more importantly, are we on the verge of a wrestling boom, or are we in a wrestling boom? Silence. We were in one if. We were typically in where we were in one and we're in one now for just going by how much money these companies are making. But I don't think that's I what think, people think of when they think of wrestling boom. They think of um, ubiquitous popularity. Um, and just my stance is that our mono our monoculture that existed in previous generations is dead. So how popular can wrestling really become in a 2022 environment versus like what we would have considered popular in previous generations? And that goes across pretty much all media across the board. Yeah. The financial opportunity for the two major U.S. companies is is big because of the stress that's been put on the cable bundle for the most popular programming as everything else is fragmented in popularity. Um, this is not a, a boom period in terms of consumer interest. Um, 
I'm the oldest one of, of these three boxes on the screen right now, I think. Go, go, how old were you in the Attitude Era? Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be 35 on, uh, Saturday. So yeah, yeah. no, yeah, no. Uh, so I would have been for like 12, I think in that, or 11 in 99 actually. Okay. Yeah. Right? Jesse, do you remember the attitude era? No, you don't remember the attitude era. I was born in 94. So I'm going to, I'm going to retire. Um, <laughs> so no, like, yeah. no. No, like no, no memories, no memories of Stone Cold Steve Austin crushing beers and and Vince McMahon, you know, pulling a gun on Vince McMahon and Brian. No, and, I mean my cousin went to WrestleMania 14. I remember, like he and he had the chair from it, but it like my right? no, that would be Boston. That was Boston, okay. Yeah, that's how my cousin went to it. Well, 15 um, was was Philadelphia. Yeah, 15 anyway. was Philadelphia. No, um, to me, it's like my experience with the Attitude Era outside of like watching it back years later would be like playing some of the video games from that that time period when i was like seven or eight years old like playing it on my friends n64 playing i don't even know i don't know if i ever played no mercy or whatever i I don't know if i ever what games i specifically played there's more i don't i actually don't think the main game i played was no mercy but i don't know what it was called um but like that would be my and that's when i like would really have like as a child understood who like the undertaker was and the rock and steve austin and and you know Triple H and those kind of people. I, that would be my experience. No the Attitude Era. Just no memory of the Attitude Era. The first wrestling match I rem- ever remember watching on television was the Undertaker versus JBL in 2005. Oh my God. Anyway, uh, that was when I was tuning out for a little bit. <laughs> I was yeah, I mean, at that point. That's when I was <laughs> 10. So I was going to college. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's people much younger than me out there. I've, I'm 20 I've, years I've old. There are, there are people who are so, even younger than that in the world. Yes. Um, <laughs> so as, as, as Tony Khan tweets here, let's, let's uh, investigate the premise right now. The numbers say wrestling is hot. Um, it depends on what he means by right now. If he means in the last week or two weeks, so sort of that that's, there's a better case for that in the last, I don't know, year or so, not so much. Um, so I, I sat down and I pulled all, all these numbers here and we, we thank Tony Khan for helping produce this episode of, of WrestleNomics and giving us a topic to talk about here. Um, so what did I do here? I lined up a bunch of comparisons over time. So what I, what, what I looked at was here's the trailing 90 days. What have the last 90 days been like for TV ratings, tickets distributed, Google web search, YouTube views, and then for reception, I know this is not directly tied to business, but as, as, as the, the downfall of Vince McMahon, I, I think, has taught me, well, the quality of your product actually matters. But anyway, so we got cage match. The number of matches that you had on cage match in your promotion that were rated 8.0 or higher, the number of matches in, in the time period. And then I asked... What are the percent? So they do on cagematch.net. If you don't know, they do they rate matches, but then they also rate entire events, including TV events, pay per view events. What is the percentage of the events that you put on that were rated eight point zero or higher? So anyway, and the, the TV ratings that we're going with here are P eighteen to forty nine. So the TV ratings, tickets distributed, web search, YouTube views, number of eight point zero, essentially four star matches that you put on the percentage of well-received events that you put on. And I counted up all those deltas. And I, well, I looked at this, the current 
trailing 90 days against the 90 days before that, the current 90 days versus the same 90 days last year, the current 90 days versus the same 90 days two years ago. Make all these comparisons over time. And what we end up seeing is, you know, I, I continue to monitor stardom. Stardom, uh, although on the global scale, is a very, very, very small company compared to WE or even AEW, but is the, the one company that continues to show increasing consumer interest. Um, obviously, we don't have P1849 US ratings for, for stardom. But other than that, the one that looks the best by this sort of analysis is WWE. Um, AEW's deltas are less than half positive. Um, their, their TV ratings year over year in 18 to 49 are down. Their TV ratings in, in, in these 90 days versus the 90 days prior are down. Uh, tickets distributed, according to WrestleTix, in those comparisons, is slightly down. Uh, web search is down. Uh, web search compared to two years ago, though, is up. YouTube views, year, uh, these 90 days versus the 90 days before that, is down. Year over year comparisons look better, though. Uh, the quality of their content, if we just base this on Wrestle or base this on cagematch.net data, that looks good. Um, New Japan does not look good by this analysis. Uh, Impact looks better than AEW by this analysis. So I, I don't think there's a boom period at it by any, any, any typical sense happening here. Uh, if, if anything is happening in terms of there being increased fan interest for a wrestling brand, it's WWE more than AEW. Although Dynamite did do a good rating this past Wednesday. And Raw did not. And Raw, Raw went up against Monday Night Football and Raw no. did not. Oh, here's all these these images that I could have gone through. But yeah, um, any anything else to to add here? I'm sorry, do you this have the data? To think about it. Yeah, do you have the data for a number of cage match ratings that are that are going into the system from year to yeah. year? Yes, but it's uh, it would take me because I'd to be, pull it up. I'd be curious to know. I'd be curious to know if WWE is. In particular, I'm assuming the other stuff maybe as well, but I, I I get this sense that WWE at least is getting more popular in the number of ratings that it's getting on Cage Match, and I'm not sure if that's maybe Cage Match becoming a site that is expanding beyond just a niche market of wrestling fans, because um, you know for me Cage Match was always this weird German site that you'd go on to find out all these. Uh, cagematch.de yeah and but i feel, feel like it's become more maybe ubiquitous within wrestling culture and that i'd be interested in seeing if you're getting because you're getting one of the things about like the ratings from cage match are i get the sense that most of the ratings are being based off of the relative content um uh, on the shows themselves so aw an aw match being rated an eight is generally being compared to other AEW matches as opposed to in WWE matches are being compared to other WWE matches. It's not necessarily saying the inmates are grading on a curve. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying is that I don't, I don't know how like the the cross comparison between promotions and how useful that is. And I get the sense that more WWE fans have got, have found cage match and those fans might be not overrating WWE necessarily but perhaps um 
have a more favorable view on WWE because they may not be have watched other wrestling promotions. And I get that sense I, that a match that's like a. I think it's ahead. important to 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 notice here too. Like I'm. What we're looking at here is W sort of against itself, which I think expresses that even if the voters are are grading W on an easier scale, they're still looking at it more positively than they did in, in prior periods of time. Um, but I'm going to try to to pull this the, the number of matches that are rated up if I can. Um, event ratings, and we we want WWE specifically, right? I'd be curious to know if WWE and I guess AEW would be helpful from a from a to get another perspective like on like if they are more popular um, within Cage Match. Stardom, like I know, is more popular within Cage Match. New Japan, I assume, is less popular. Yeah, we do have more over time. I don't know what they're. I have to do the math. So there's in 2019 only 275 match ratings for WWE in 2019. Uh, this at this point into 2022, 533. So the more than double. are these different matches that have a rating, or are these all these are these, these matches that have a rating, yes. right? And I believe Cage Match since 2019 has also kind of changed their formula that made it easier for people to vote on match ratings. The number of votes is not up as much. Can I can I share this? If I stop sharing that. And I share the Excel spreadsheet window monthly. Here's what I'm looking at. We can try to make this bigger. So this is this is for WWE. The number of votes is like approaching 40,000 on the year. So it'll probably surpass last year for, for the number of votes. Uh, and this this is the number of actual matches that have been voted on. You know, this year 533. Last year 788. Year before that, the pandemic period for whatever that. I mean, it's probably a similar number of matches that happened on television. Uh, Five hundred twenty-seven. So this year has already surpassed twenty twenty. Right. And, and you have part to of- have like probably like a minimum number of votes to even be displayed as a as a rating, right? I think you need at least ten, or maybe it's fifteen. Um, if you go on like Stardom, where they maybe don't get as many match rates you can see like it will tell you like you know this match is rated an 8.73 based on you know 15 ratings or based on 20 ratings or for most WWE or AEW matches it's usually over 100 and this is AEW which has already in this year more matches rated than last year we've got 558 I guess granted that this year has an entire year of Rampage, and last year did not have seven months' worth of Rampage. Um, a lot more votes, though. So mm-hmm. I guess you could say that the people are on Cage Match are more active in voting for AEW matches than they are for WWE matches. Because we have yep. 62,000, almost 63,000 votes this year, which is more and than I, I, any year prior. I, I mean, we could talk to Striga if we want to, but yes. I think the... Um, Cage matches system has made it a little bit more user friendly to vote on matches. Now, if you look at any card uh, or event, they have the, the the match ratings displayed easier, and it's very easy. I feel like from a user perspective to rate a match on Cage Match as opposed to in the past, it maybe involved a little bit more clicking, um, and that somewhat explains the increase in ratings beyond just the fact that there's more users, more inmates as they're called on Cage Match. The inmates. And here's Stardom with 366 matches year to date. 
555 last year, 11,000 votes this year, mm-hmm. almost 50. And those are just demolishing year. the numbers from 2019 and 2020. I would say, without doing the math, it's on track to exceed last year. Oh, well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What you're saying is this, yeah, these years, 2019 and 2020, way ahead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jesse mentioned it earlier, though. Like, I just think that cage match is more part of the internet wrestling fan culture than it was a few years ago. I think for the years, and you could attest this, Brandon, it's kind of just something for us to know. Like, oh, when, when was the last time this guy worked at this promotion or whatever like that? Like, I only ever heard Useful people that were actually Patrol in wrestling also. talk about it. Border Patrol uses it. Yeah. Yep, the seas crossing the border and everything. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I, I, am, am I wrong? You debate me if you if you disagree. Even if I don't know, even if the 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 composition of the I guess if the composition of the voters has changed, maybe that 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 changes the argument. But even I, I think there's meaning in in looking at how the audience apparently is digesting any given product. Like if if WWE was, you know. Only what, what what do we have on here? If I put the uh, the slides back up on the screen, you know, very few W events were rated above an eight, and I'm talking about events now, which is different from matches. But very few events were rated eighty an eight or higher. Whereas it's right here. So in the, so in the three months prior to to these last three months, which is what March, late March to late June, the final months of the Vince McMahon era. Only two percent of the of the events were rated an eight or higher. Now it's up to eleven. Not a lot, but you know what? That's eight times higher, right? Eight times two is no. It's it's a lot higher. It's like five times higher than what it was before. Which, even if that's being just just sort of graded in its own universe, tells me something about how these events and matches, perhaps, which are also higher, are being perceived now versus a prior point in time. Is that meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I think, especially over the last three months, the consensus is that WWE's the wrestling on WWE shows is significantly better. You've, you've highlighted the the number of the amount of wrestling time that we see on Raw and SmackDown, which generally probably correlates well with matches getting higher ratings, right? I think, I think, the more, I think it does. Yes, the more fifteen minute matches that you're having on television, the more likely you are to have a match rated eight or higher. Um, yeah. And Triple H is obviously much more um, progressive in how he views a lot of wrestling talent and where he doesn't – he's not afraid of being like, hey, Ricochet, go out and wrestle a 12-minute match or Chad Gable or obviously bringing in Johnny Gargano or guys that are going to be capable of – or at least have long track records of having really successful wrestling matches. And so that obviously plays a role. Um, And making people – if people – I know people think that wrestling – some people argue that wrestling matches being good is, does not draw. Um, and it's about stars and, and feuds and storylines and all that, which is true. But if you're presenting a product that people are like, you know what? These matches are really good. Those people are more likely to continue tuning into your product as opposed to these matches are really bad and I don't want to watch the show anymore. Um, I think they hold a lot of value to retaining uh, viewers for starters, we saw that we've seen that across the board where the longer when you have longer matches, viewerships, viewers are retained. We saw that with NAW. We've seen that. We saw that in the the dynamite rating this week was a good example of that. Um, So there's obviously, I think, benefits to having high quality wrestling matches. And and most importantly, this is something that WWE has struggled with so much over the years is 
servicing your core audience, making the fans who are interested in your product feel like they're getting something out of watching your product as opposed to frustrating them. Now, I don't think a lot has changed on that end to, for with a lot of the broader booking strategies, but as far as at least giving them stuff to entertain them as opposed to doing very short matches or not a lot of matches or having a lot of talking or doing bad finishes, um, at least having more matches that people are like, you know what, that was a really good wrestling match, um, gets services those fans in a way that they maybe have been neglected over the recent years. Yeah, I, I think in today's environment where there are so many entertainment options where I think, like you said, Jesse, the, we have, we don't do not have the monoculture that we used to have that we had in the, in the attitude era years of 99 to 2001 that we had in the, the peak years of WF's run in, in the eighties. Um, there's extreme competition for entertainment that combined. So what does that mean? That means that, the the audiences that you do have are going to be more niche, are going to be more selective maybe, uh, and more discerning about whether or not they're going to watch your product. I see that, and I think there's an age bias in that, which is why when we see a big rating, the big increase, with the exception of perhaps this week, the big increase is with viewers 18 to 34, and the P50 Plus, by comparison, barely moves. Um, so I think we have a highly selective audience, more so than we had in the past. And I think the real promoters in wrestling have become wrestling fans online who, despite what Tony Khan wants to say about how there's a boom era and he, he promotes Dynamite and Rampage on Twitter every week, we know that he has a deeply vested interest in, in you watching those shows. The people who don't have a, a deeply vested in, well, maybe, maybe some of them do, but the people who are more likely to be honest uh, are, are people who you know in person, sure, but also the in, increasing you know, impressions that people in general on social media are collecting in hopefully honestly recommending a show or telling you that this show sucks and I'm frustrated watching it. And you'll probably have a similar experience if you watch it. <laughs> um, so that, what am I saying? That this old idea that only the casual fans matter and good matches don't matter and that's stupid and that's just playing to the dirt sheet reading marks, screw that idea, is an outdated idea. There's, it's, it's not as simple. Uh, th- that's not simply true or simply false. Brandon, it's a, it, Brandon, that's a straw man argument made by people who have a very limited view on professional wrestling and what it can be. It's often used as a counterpoint when people bring up a really good match and they say, well, I don't know those stars. So in, who cares about how good the match was? I don't know who those stars are. And star power is what matters, um, which is a straw man argument that doesn't really exist in the real world. The best wrestling matches that you have seen in your life are probably matches that involved wrestlers who you really cared about which would be stars, at least to you, and they told an excellent story in their match. It's not going to be a 20-minute mat- a match between two preliminary wrestlers that you do not recognize. So anyone that says big matches don't draw storylines at superstars, all of that is – it's all the same piece of art. You need to have all of those things to have an excellent match, and you need to have all of those things to draw really well. If We, we can't go back in time. I think to the um, halcyon days of the 1980s WWF, where the matches could be absolute, the main event matches could be absolutely terrible, and they would still draw. Um, 
that's just not going to happen. The world we live in now, all of those things are demanded to draw. You need to eventually be, you need to have a good match, and you need to have have storylines and angles to 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 have a good match. Um, so I always, I never, I always thought that was just a straw man argument by people who were frustrated that they maybe don't recognize good good wrestling universally and only recognize good wrestling within a limited WWE branded scope of it. Yeah, I I think. This, this sort of came to mind in the context of, of WOW. So this is the piece in the Wall Street Journal that I was trying to answer some questions for that came out the other day. Um, and how WOW is, in theory, got pretty good distribution. They're on in syndication in every market in the United States, every single market. I couldn't figure out what, what, what channel or what time to watch them on in Buffalo, which is, is the issue, part of the issue there. Um, but I th- if you look at the brands, the wrestling brands, that have broken out and increased them in popularity in the late 2010s. In my view, those brands are NXT, New Japan Pro Wrestling, maybe a little bit of Ring of Honor, maybe earlier on in in that half of the decade, and AEW. Why were they able to gather the consumer interest that they were able to gather? In large part, well, yes, it was the quality of the products that they put on. It was the talent that they had. Partly it was the distribution access that they had. But it was also the social media promotion of people who organically recommend those products. Right. And that you, you've mentioned, like you mentioned the people on social media and getting positive social media buzz kind of universally, or at least getting a majority of people to talk about it is such a valuable marketing tool for anything. I mean, it goes far beyond wrestling. You talk, I'm sure that it's something that's being closely monitored in the streaming service, the streaming world and movie studios and music. Getting buzz online is how you reach people today across the board. If I could add, and to contrast, they didn't grow in popularity and consumer interest because they did something to appeal to this sort of broader, casual, mainstream audience that supposedly is, is just you know, in, in this locked box, just waiting for somebody to unlock it. Uh, they appealed to wrestling fans who recommended their products to other wrestling fans. Right. You want to do a, a smaller scale, a very smaller scale recent example, right? Have you seen this Jun Kasai El Desperado match? Either you? No, have you? <laughs> what co- company is this? Okay, so this is um, Takamichinoku's promotion, Just Tap Out. Okay. And so they had a. Jun Kasai and uh, El Desperado had a main event match uh, earlier this month, um, and they had this total death match, bloodbath match, right? Um, and I would have never seen this match. I wouldn't have. I wasn't. I'm not a big just tap out fan. I'm not watching every show. I didn't. I wouldn't even know what happened, except the people who were watching it, which was a very niche audience of people who were into the hardcore death match scene in Japan. We're saying it's like the match of the year. And I saw on social media people talking about, oh, my God, this El Desperado Jun Kasai match. It's so great. Everyone should watch it. You need to watch this match. If you're making a match of the year list, you have to watch this match. Um, and so I watched it. And it got, I know Dave Meltzer watched it based on recommendations from tons of people. And, um, of course, this is a much smaller scale than maybe people convincing other people to tune into AEW. But it wasn't because they had this match that catered towards wrestling fans outside of the deathmatch bubble. It was just a really excellent version of their style of wrestling that got their niche hardcore fan base really to kind of align themselves in a 
informal campaign to push this match as something other people should watch. And I'm to add one. Oh, I'm kind of done. I was going to say to add to your point, social media is really a big factor of why GCW has increased in popularity the last few years. Like there, it can be argued that GCW is the third biggest country, third biggest company in the United States. It can be argued with that. And anytime they're having a bet, we get DMs now. <laughs> well, the third, uh, I mean, you know, um, but anytime well, and, they have an event, it's always like a number one trend on Twitter. Yeah. And in some ways, GCW's social media performance outstrips its actual business performance that people will be talking. You'll see a lot of people talking about GCW online. But if you look at how many tickets they actually sold to their shows, you know, some of them do quite well, but some of them do not particularly well at all. And this is a, a point that I've heard made before is that if you were to compare like New Japan Pro Wrestling's ticket sales in the United States to GCW's ticket sales in the United States, GCW runs more frequently. But New Japan draws significantly more on average for their shows. But most people, if you were to ask, would say GCW's really hot in the United States and New Japan's not hot in the United States. And that's because of social media, as you said, Gallo. GCW's like whenever they have a show, it's trending all over social media. If you follow a lot of wrestling accounts on social media, which I'm assuming we all do and probably most people listening to this show do. Uh, New Japan has a very uh, bad social media policy and a very arcane um, sense of it where you basically can't share any content at all about New Japan that's outside of the text realm. Which is probably influenced by their their TV partner. Right. So for people who don't know, New Japan's television partner is very aggressive in sending copyright strikes. If you you send out GIFs or video clips of their shows, which a lot of people would say has hurt Western uh, popularity of New Japan because things like the G1 can be happening and you won't see that much social media buzz because even if the matches are really good, not seeing the the, the gifts of, of certain things and, and video clips is really keeps the, the discussion of it um, limited in a, in a way that a company like GCW or, or most companies in the United States don't have. And I, I would, another thing that comes to mind in the context of this is like the, the, the buzz that you're able to get online is, possibly translatable to a global audience that might consume you on media like i mean ideally a a, a, pay, a pay-per-view a, a streaming subscription um whether that's you know fights or it iwtv or whatever um i think a, a good example of that is think about like one of the one of the best drawing indies in the united states is new next was that was new stand for northeast wrestling Northeast, Northeast. I, I almost, I almost. Yeah, I know where you were going. <laughs> I almost went to the former Rochester company, um, and they 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 go to baseball parks, right? They draw thousands, which is extremely rare for an Indian big name too, big AEW but, name for those shows, right? But but like you never hear, I don't anyway. Do you hear about the great match that happened at NEW? I never hear that. I, ne- I never I never see people talking about the matches and, and telling people to seek out the matches or the shows or whatever. Um, and I think, you know, contrast that against like, just to use our, our, our local indie that Golo and I are both involved with, like ESW has drawn shows with nearly a thousand people, but nobody's ever heard of this company beyond our, our Western New York era or area. Um, compare that to like companies, like I would say like maybe beyond or Chikara over the years that have had very small audiences, live but we're able to evolve at least evolve right 
that have had relatively small live attendances by just by sight, but have encouraged a lot more media consumption of their products. I mean, yeah, like so there's kind of different levels of indie wrestling. I feel like there's the buzzy Especially in certain countries, but anyway. Yeah. And there's there's buzzy indies that exist for online buzz to cater towards more the hardcore wrestling fan. There are also indies that will spend that will bring in old WWE legends and names like that. They'll bring in a Bret Hart to a show, or they'll bring in um Jerry the King Lawler. Um, and those they will draw very well, but because they don't, no one really cares about Jerry King Lawler wrestling a wrestling match on an indie show uh, in 2022. You won't necessarily hear about that online, even if they draw a much larger house than an indie that's main eventing with. I'll pick two contemporary indie wrestlers. I don't want to give any names because I don't want anyone to get mad at me. But they will not. They, that match might get a lot more positive buzz, but they're not going to get the same kind of draw they're not going to have even if they don't have the same kind of star power uh at least to people online there are plenty of lucha shows that run in on the border states that will bring in lucha stars from mexico and draw over a thousand people um and And that's been happening for 20 years (laughs) yeah and you'll almost never hear about them because it's outside of the scope of what you normally see discussed on social media when it comes to wrestling is that nobody cares that you know el hijo del santo drew you know 1800 people to a show in laredo texas um it, that's nothing compared to if gcw draws the same size crowd for the hammerstein ballroom it's this huge event yeah okay um didn't, didn't, didn't expect to go there but that's a good discussion uh again if anybody wants to, to throw a super chat in we will address your comment or question um uh, we have a bunch of super chats we'll answer them all at the end i think because they're all kind of okay. all the topics that we talked about so okay great this post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Um, so we, uh, I have to make a correction, as I was corrected after our, our program last week. Uh, where we were speculating on whether, or at least I was, on whether uh, AEW and the Jacksonville Jaguars are sharing a lot of employees. Uh, I was told afterward that very few, uh, there's very less than I was speculating or, or less than I was saying. Uh, Mega Parrick, who is the chief legal officer for the Jaguars and is the chief legal counsel for AEW, she works for both the Jaguars and AEW. Uh, I guess Tony Khan does work for both, right? Um, the Jaguars and AEW share and use the same PR firm, Fleischman Hillard, Hilliard, Hillard, Fleischman Hillard. Um, but other than that, I'm told that those are the only overlap between the Jaguars and AEW. So there's that. Um, and then we have the W Board of Directors has changed. Visic Mann is no longer the chairman. Connor Shell stepped away in July. 
And now Eric Nardini, the Barstool CEO, uh, has left the board of directors. And we have two new members of the board of directors, Michelle McKenna, who's the former chief information officer for the NFL, and Joellen Lyons-Dillon, who is a former executive for X1. Does anybody, anybody know what the X1 company is? I used to hold you. No, one. So no idea. It's a, it's a 3D printing company. Um, so the, their, their press release mentions that uh, Michelle McKenna spent more than two decades as a senior as a senior leader at Disney, Universal Studios, and the NFL, working across technology, digital strategy, and finance. From 2012 to 2022, McKenna served as chief information officer for the NFL, where she was responsible for the league's technology strategy and served as the executive sponsor of the Women's Interactive Group. She serves on the board of directors for Ring Central, where she is. What is Ring Central? Where is she? Where she is a member of the audit compensation committee. Yada yada. Uh, she previously served on on the Inspirity board of directors. Dylan, who is the former X One executive, has thirty years of combined public company experience in global business. And now here's the note that everyone pointed out: uh, she has experience in M and A and legal. M and A stands for. Uh. What is M&A? No one knows what M&A stands for? M ampersand A? Mergers and acquisitions. So uh, if, if W were, were to end up being acquired or were to merge with some other company, maybe she would be very helpful with that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's what's happening there. I don't have a ton to add to that. Uh, Maybe you guys do, but um, this is this is what the the board is, is con, you know consists of now. It's 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 largely executives, people who are either current executives in other companies or people who are apparently like retired executives or no longer executives in major companies, including Manjit Singh, who is the the lead independent member of the board of directors. We still have now three members of the board of directors who are also executives in WB, including Stephanie McMahon, who's the chairwoman, of course. Nick Khan is a member. Paul Levesque is a member. And that's it. Only three members from WB. Uh, we also have Jeffrey Speed, who's a former Six Flags executive. Steve Heyman, who is now in charge of, how do you say this, this company's name? Versus? Versus? I, I'm guessing it's just Versus. It's with Versus. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he formerly uh, was the COO for Beyonce's entertainment company, Parkwood Entertainment. Alan Wexler, who's an executive with General Motors. Steve Coonan who is the CEO of the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena in Atlanta. Ignace Laoud, who is an executive for Majid El Fatam, which, which is a Middle East-based retail mall company. And now the addition of Michelle McKenna and Joellen Lyons-Dillon. I think there are some questions that I don't know the answers to around what leads to... I mean, the, the, the explanation, to be clear, the explanation around, uh, it, which is in a filing... W disclosed that Eric Nardini, the Barstool CEO, was leaving in, a, in an 8K filing where they said, as they similarly said when Connor Shell left in July, Nardini's decision to resign from the board was not due to any dispute or disagreement with the company, its management, or any matter relating to the company's operations, policies, or practices. Um, I think it's worth noting, too, that Nardini and Shell were not members of the board of directors for a very long time. Uh, I would say less than two years. Um, while others have been on this board for, at least Jeffrey Speed has been on this board for a, a pretty long time. Payment's probably been on the board longer now, and Manjit Singh and Wexler have been on the board longer now. Um, did this have any, did, did their exit from the board have anything to do with the investigation related to Vince McMahon? I don't know. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever get a, an honest 
a, a reliable answer to that question. But th they say no, it's got nothing, nothing to do with any problem. Don't worry about it. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. If you guys have anything to add, feel free. Michelle McKenna posted on LinkedIn that she's very happy to be joining the member of the board, joining the board of directors, and excited to work with Stephanie McMahon. Um, I'm, I'm I'm waiting for someone to post on. You know, I, have you ever come across like a negative post on LinkedIn? No. <laughs> no, I have not. I actually think that a lot of I don't know what this one specifically is, but there's LinkedIn has a lot of standard like prompts where they're like, congratulate someone on a new job or like, do you want to post about your new job? And it's always yeah. a very canned kind of like, I am excited to be starting a position, you know, insert position here at insert company here. And then some general platitudes. It's just, that's what it kind of sounds like. I mean, LinkedIn is in a lot of ways like the worst social media platform because it's definitely the place where people are the fakest. Even it's also Michelle, the most well-behaved. It is. It is because it's professional. It, it is professional, but because, because everything you're saying is like, click here for my resume. Yeah, every in every word on it is, but every word on it comes across as extremely disingenuous. Right down to Michelle McKenna's title of being a thought leader. Like, is that really her title, or is we're, that just hey, a? We're we're thought leaders here too. We're thought leaders in the wrestling media business space, for sure. But it just that's always like such a. Everyone just uses vocabulary that you use on resumes and not how, which of course is vocabulary that nobody uses in real life. Um, so everyone comes across as like this very, like, you know, boring, generic white collar worker. Um, I have friends who clearly have to post on social media or post on LinkedIn as part of their job, like, especially if they attended a recent conference or things like that. And I have like certain like Boston friends who, you know, cannot talk without an F bomb coming out of their mouth every three sentences. And they're very stately on LinkedIn and using all sorts of huge, a huge lexicon of words that I don't think they norm normally typically use. And it's always gives me a good laugh when I'm like, yeah, that's what that person would post on social media. About. Um, all the tremendous networking that they were able to do at this recent business conference and talking about, you know, future leadership and opportunities and things like that. Okay. Um, quickly, we'll run through some things. Uh, you put this on the screen. So Catherine Newman is the new – she has been for a while. This is not new news. But in June, it was announced that Catherine Newman is, is WWE's new executive vice president and the head of marketing. Um, I learned on Friday that there were at least – I don't know where, where to put this. I, I got four to five names. I don't know if there's more, but there were layoffs to WWE's marketing department. Um, when you hear layoffs – uh, I, I worry that people are going to think that this is part of some larger set of layoffs. I don't, I don't have any reason to believe that it is. There were some pretty serious layoffs in 2021 and 2020 when people were furloughed due to the, due to the pandemic. And then in 2021, there was a lot of consolidation. As my understanding is, W believe that they had a lot of redundancy. They had a lot of pe people in multiple departments doing the same job. And some something like upwards of 60 people were laid off in, in spring 2021. Um, so there's that. Um, so it, it, it could be related to marketing being on, under new leadership with the, the, uh, the hiring of Catherine Newman, who is a new executive. She was formerly with um, Manchester United. Um, we we touched on last week. Do you have something, Cole? No, no. I was scratching my invisible beard. <laughs> okay. The um, we, Yes. In, return, in regards to the marketing person being hired, we've heard – before that there was maybe some disappointment at the corporate level in the performance in WWE's ability to get tier one advertisers and things like that. Yes. Would this be related to that or would this be a different department? 
That's a good question. Um, they also announced if, if Craig Stimmer a few weeks ago. They announced that they had, they hired someone from Snapchat to be their new head of uh, sales and advertising. I think the title is. Um, yeah, there's what you alluded to, Jesse, is that there's been a lot of analyst questioning around and, and executive talk around that they they could do more to sell advertising and sponsorships, um, which would well, be things. Apparently, Stephanie McMahon was fired because she was so bad at her job in that department. And we've had that disputed by Fightful and The Observer. Who knows? That this this is the Business Insider report that came out just after she announced her leave of absence in May, according to Business Insider. One insider says that he, she was pushed out by her father, Vince. Who knows what the real story is? But yeah, they, they, they believe that they can at some point in the next few years get to $100 million of media advertising and sponsorship revenue. And they're like just over halfway there, I think, at this point, uh, in terms of annual revenue. Um, last week, we touched on the, you know, the, the fight happening with uh, CM Punk and the EVPs. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if everybody involved in that was an employee, including, obviously, the EVPs have dual status as employees. Uh, Jericho mentioned in 2019 that he has dual status as an independent contractor and, and as a wrestler, as both an employee and, uh, and an independent contractor. And... I would think that uh, the EVPs are also in, in dual status. I mean, they obviously are, and I would not be surprised if it was part of CM Punk's deal that he is a dual status worker with AEW, which may complicate. I don't know to what extent. I've been trying to find uh, a lawyer with experience in similar uh, situations that might be able to educate us on what the possible outcomes are of this investigation that the AEW is conducting in 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 you know determining what they're going to do with uh with everybody involved in this fight who are currently suspended right and obviously all the other people things like the agents and backstage people people like christopher daniels and ace steel and michael nakazawa brandon cutler are all also employees right Right. pat buck i believe pat buck and brandon cutler Mm -hmm. are both at tv and they are no longer suspended um so yeah uh, Jesse, are you going to, to Survivor Series in Boston? I'm not going to Survivor Series in Boston. I haven't been to a WWE show in years. I don't. You haven't? What's, what's the last WWE show you're at? Um, would have been a pay-per-view show. I forget which one it was. It probably would have been the WrestleMania, TLC, 20, uh, WrestleMania 14. TLC, no, it was not WrestleMania 14. I didn't go to that one. Um, TLC, like 2018, maybe. Okay. Um, okay. It was good. It, I can't even remember, dude. Uh, the la- I remember, I remember going to the Hell in a Cell show, which had the Sasha Banks Charlotte main event, um, Hell in a Cell match. Um, that would have been, I think, before that TLC and um, show. But I haven't. That was probably the last time I've been to a WWE show. I'm trying to think if I went to like a Raw or something, but I probably haven't. Um, so it probably has been a very long time. Um, Survivor Series. I mean. The pacing of WWE shows is so bad that it, that really discourages me from going beyond just – I mean beyond – I don't have a ton of interest in the product in general. But the pacing of the shows feels like death when, if I were in the arena. It's hard enough watching at home. Yeah. So Survivor Series in Boston um, is sold out or at least there's you know very few tickets that are left because uh, it 
basically all the tickets were bought up very quickly after the general on sale. Um, so is, there's a possibility that uh, that there's going to be a War Games match. I believe there's a War Games match that's being considered for Survivor Series. However, an obstacle for that, I understand, is the seating configuration. They sold all these floor seats, or most of them. This is a, a, a ticket map that we're looking at. That's not the most up-to-date ticket map, but but it's it's from WrestleTix. Um, so maybe this configuration would have to change to get two rings on the floor. But uh, that's something I wouldn't be surprised to see happen. Uh, they might have to do the WCW Tower of Doom, just stack them on top of each other. Wouldn't, wouldn't be opposed. Um, NXT taped their, their TV taping. They did their live TV on Tuesday, and then they taped their TV on Wednesday. Uh, so next Tuesday's episode will be a taped episode, so they won't be doing a live episode in the PC until the following Tuesday. Uh, I, I believe this is because they're working on a new set to go along with the new black and gold rebrand. Um, anybody remember the, the King of the Ring countdown special last year on Fox? Everybody remembers that, right? No, mm. nobody remembers that. There's going to be another uh, WB special on Fox, uh, I'm told, on Sunday, October 2nd. So that'll have a, a big NFL lead, lead out, lead in audience, uh, some sort of best of show or something like that this will be just ahead of extreme rules um and day one may or may not be day one this year uh this could be happening uh on a day other than january 1st january 1st falls on a sunday this week or this year or next year i guess falls on a sunday so i don't know if they're trying to do pay-per-views that are not on sundays as much anymore i think every pay-per-view for the rest of the year is a saturday if i'm not yeah um so this would be on a Saturday or on a Sunday if it was on January 1st. So we'll see what happens there. If it's not on January 1st, I would expect it to be rebranded as something other than day one for obvious reasons. Um, and we, we've discussed in previous episodes the notion that, well, maybe AEW has trouble getting into certain venues because maybe they're blocked by uh, WWE. There was this story in 2020 about WWE, I believe Fightful originally reported this, that that. AEW wanted to get into a certain arena in Cincinnati, which is called what? The Heritage Bank Center in Cincinnati. Uh, WWE had an existing relationship, or maybe still has an existing relationship with, with that venue, and AEW wasn't able to get into it anyway. They ended up going to a different arena, which, do I have it here? I don't have it here. They ended up going to a different arena, and this is just before the pandemic. Um, and we've, we've discussed, you know, maybe AEW decided to run the Coca-Cola Coliseum in Toronto because maybe they couldn't get access to uh, Scotiabank. Maybe they couldn't get access to it. This is highly speculative. Maybe they couldn't get access to it because obviously W is run there and they ran there very recently. Uh, maybe W has that venue blocked. I don't think that's the case. Um, I think that as, as, as much of what prevents AEW from getting dates on certain venues it just has to do with the calendar and what is booked in those arenas besides wrestling. Um, and I've seen, I don't know if I've seen speculation, but it, it's occurred to me that, you know, AEW, for all the times that they've run Chicago, has never run. Does anybody know what, what this building is up here on the top here? Does anyone recognize is this, this venue? that the Allstate Arena? That That is the Rosemont Horizon. Currently, okay. Currently known that, as, as, as the Car Insurance Arena. Yes. Is that not the Allstate Arena? It is. The Rosemont Horizon and the Allstate Arena are the same same venue. Okay. Um, yeah, right. But anyway, I I, I, I see this speculated about online sometimes. I don't think WWE is really blocking. They may be trying to block AEW from venues, but I don't think that that's happening in a 
in, a, in an effective way anyway. Um, we did learn that, uh, you know, the AW announced on Wednesday that they're going to Seattle in January. So now that the markets that AEW has not been to in the United States, major markets are the Bay Area, which is, according to Fightful, possibly where Revolution, the Revolution pay-per-view will end up in March or February. Um, maybe the Cow Palace, if you really want the Observer to promote it. Um, so the Bay Area looks like it's coming up next. Um, Phoenix is another market, and Portland they also haven't been to Salt Lake City or Denver since the pandemic. They, oh, okay, I was going to say they have been to Salt Lake City. San Diego would be the big one, right? San Diego is another one. Yes. Yes, I forgot about that. Phoenix. One. Phoenix. I, th- I think Tampa, they haven't really been to, but they've been everywhere else in Florida. Um, they've been within sensible driving distance to Tampa because they've run in Orlando and that's like 90 minutes away. I, I, I looked into it. It's like a two hour drive. I don't know. Um, <laughs> The um, and in Seattle they are running the big arena there, the A arena, the Seattle Kraken Arena, otherwise known as the Crack House. Um, <laughs> For the, the the new hockey team. climate pledge arena, um, new yes. arena in Seattle. Which interesting tidbit that is going to be on January fourth, so that can kind of rule out maybe some major AEW stars in Russell Kingdom that we've heard the rumor. Certainly Brian, Dan- certainly, Brian Danielson looks unlikely for Wrestle yeah. Kingdom if they're also going to be in Seattle, since he would be the biggest local attraction to that market. And on the poster, they put him and Swerve and Darby Allen as front and center as the three Seattle guys on the roster. Um, okay. And we did, um, clicking on the wrong thing. we did Who's a Draw analysis. We did talent analytics this past week. And I've, I've apologized to the Jaguars, and I, I owe apology to, to Jesse. The, as, as I've learned here from CM Punk of late, the apology has to be as loud as, as the disrespect. Roman Reigns, not, not that much of a, of a quarter-hour draw, at least in the months of April 1st to the present. Uh, we did, did our talent analytics this past Thursday for subscribers. You can find that podcast and those slides on the, on the Patreon. Um, his he does perform well on YouTube. He does perform well in Google Trends. I've been scraping now W Shop. I did did one one day's worth of of scrape of W Shop, and we did an index to not not get into the convoluted math here. But what he doesn't perform particularly well in my my way of doing the math and the analysis is quarter hours. Um, so not that big of a quarter hour draw. Does anything but still, else on here stand? I'm curious to know, does anything else stand out to you besides that Roman Reigns being lower? Anyone else who is maybe unusual? Yeah, and, and, to, and to be clear, before people run to Twitter and say, Russell Onyx said Roman Reigns is not a draw, he still ended up in this analysis where, where I used an index for these four different categories, YouTube, Quarter Hours, Google Trends, and Merchandise, to be number one um, for the period from April 1st to the present. Um, what stood out here? Um I, my, my main takeaways are that the biggest stars for WNAW, and we can debate about them comparatively, but the biggest stars for WNAW respectively are Roman Reigns and CM Punk. Um, MJF, as somebody who's young, is up here pretty high. It's hard for people who are younger to get this high just because they haven't been around very long, and the longer you're around really gives you an advantage in this media environment, apparently. The number one merchandise draw... At least on the day that I scraped it, where what did I do? I scraped W Shop, and I 
I took the top 60 items, and then I did a reverse rank value, and I added it up. Number one on W Shop in that analysis is who? Roman Reigns? No. Golo knows. Cody? Golo doesn't remember? No, I remember. Sorry, I was muted. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes. And who who is number two? The NWO. (laughs) So there's that. Um, Does Rousey ranking... Rousey ranking yeah. low seem unusual, or at least a notable. I, I would say it doesn't she's seem the surprising. last person on the table here, but I wouldn't say that this is like an indicative of her her being low. This 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 table in 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 total had like hundreds of people on it. Although she is like number I don't know what this would be twenty five or something. But but still maybe that's meaningful. What's the point? I think it, I think it correlates at least a little bit with her status as a star within the company feeling lessened than it was in previous incarnations of her time in WWE. I, I could definitely say this, that like when, when I do the Google trends, I'm doing this, this is, it's never in, in any, any actual unit, any absolute value, like number of searches, but it's always giving me some sort of relative value based on what the high point is for whatever time period of time I'm looking at. And of all the people I collect, which is like over, I think over like 500 people at this point who I believe are wrestling related personalities and they actually have a Google profile that I can collect. Um, the high, the, the person, and this goes from 20, 2004 to the, to the present. So 18 years of time, the person who has the highest data point, And remember, this is a data set that would include the rock and bad bunny and John Cena and Lord knows who else. The person who has the highest data point, over those 18 years is Ronda Rousey when she's at her peak in UFC. So she's way, way lower than she was at that peak. I can definitely say that. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more relative to her, her previous run in WWE. Obviously she's not as um, popular in WWE as she was in UFC when for that period of time, she was one of the most popular athletes in the world. Um, and certainly one of the biggest money drawing uh acts in, in professional sports. Um, but relative to her, even her previous run, it seems to me that the, it seems to me that the further she is removed from her peak as a UFC draw, the less of a star she feels like as a wrestling draw, because her popularity in UFC has not been sustained out now that her fighting career has stopped in that, She's not hasn't gone on to become like a general icon in sports the way that somebody like Tiger Woods or Serena Williams would be. Um, and that was who she was at least rivaling in terms of notoriety at her peak in some ways. And I wonder if that like has a wrestling career at all impacted her overall popularity um, or is everything one- just stemming from her? Right, One other see. woman on this list, right? Who is Alexa no. Bliss? We're, and we're getting no, the no, point. No Becky Lynch, no Charlotte Flair, no Sasha Banks, even in this. I think this is twenty-five people. We're getting to the point that her wrestling career is almost as long as her UFC career because it wasn't like super long. Yeah. No, I mean, how many fights did she have in UFC? Like a dozen, maybe more. Yeah. We we better get to super chats before uh, it's yes. almost time for NFL football. <laughs> all right, all right. So we will start here with our uh, 
friend Primo Cologne. <laughs> Uh, with Warner Brothers Discovery uh, stocks plummeting, what is Zaslav's endgame? Uh, I, I, what what the, the Hollywood Reporter article alludes to is, and this isn't Zaslav's endgame, but the notion that um, NBCU could acquire, I guess, WBD. Um, I don't know. This is a, a little bit out of out of my level of depth to, to get into the finances of mergers and acquisitions, but I think what Zaslav is doing is he wants to run a more efficient company and one that doesn't have a lot of debt that would make a merger or acquisition more difficult. You know, if, if he's doing a merger and acquisition and if it's important for a merger or acquisition to have a lean company that doesn't have a lot of debt and doesn't have a lot of, ex- lot of spending, a lot of the kind of spending that we've seen more prevalent in the, in the run-up to the streaming wars, um, then, then that, would, that would be consistent with maybe... Get it preparing the, the company to be merged or acquired by another in a few years. All right. Uh, moving on, uh, Tim B. When he was asking us a question earlier, he said it was about profitability, not revenue. So, but I, I think a factor here, and you can obviously, Brandon, Jessica, touch on, it, is that WWE has a lot of revenue streams, more than AEW. So WWE's net income, yeah, last year was over a hundred million dollars and AEW probably didn't generate a hundred million dollars in revenue, not to mention profitability if they were profitable at all. Um, yeah. The only way I could, the only way I could see it happening beyond just a gigantic shift in popularity between the two brands would be something like when the WWE network was launched and WWE had this one, quarter or year where they were really didn't make any money because the startup costs were so high. I don't know what they would attempt to do that would be similar to that now. Um, but that would be the only way I could see like a kind of fluking AEW's way into having higher profitability for a quarter. Yeah. T- taking on some huge project like the XFL or yeah, the, I, think, um, I, th- I think there was when, a- when, when there's an NXT for every single continent and every single country perhaps. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think just the notion that that WWE might be acquired. I think they, I don't know how genuinely interested they are in in that. I think they're at least somewhat open to that, or at least some of the executives are are open to that. Would be my guess. And because of that, I, I would think that they would not get involved in some sort of high cost business project that would make them less conducive to to being sold. If not, if nothing else, it keeps the stock price strong. Speaking of uh, WWE uh, being acquired, Lee Butler asked the likelihood that Tony could purchase WWE after a merger. Uh, I, I doubt it because, I don't know, I, that he would be the one to buy it because he has lots of money because Shad Khan is, is a billionaire. Um, I doubt that would happen, but stranger things have happened. It's, it's going to be purchased by a big media property. Well, why would why first from my perspective was why would Tony want to buy WWE if he's willing to spend a lot of money? Wouldn't he just want to spend money on his own wrestling product that he's building himself as opposed to buying Vince McMahon's wrestling product? I suppose a world exists where the WWE becomes for sale years from now. Perhaps AEW is not around. Um, 
But Tony, who has a lot of personal wealth and at least a track record of running a wrestling company, were to lead some sort of investment group purchasing WWE. That would be a possible That's scenario. A possible be- scenario, yes. right? Because Tony has a lot of friends in the business community. What if he he owns the Jaguars, and he gets together with a couple other NFL owners, and they say, "Let's try to buy WWE." I know how to take it to the next level because I'm a successful wrestling promoter. Maybe AEW's around and they merge them. I don't know, but that would be the more plausible situation where Tony would be kind of the leader of a, a wider investment group, as opposed to Tony just liquidating his dad's. Tony inherits his dad's money and then liquidates his assets to buy WWE for five billion dollars. Yes, I think it will cost more than five billion dollars to acquire WWE. Yeah. Yes. Um, next super chat, uh, Louis Ducati. Uh, my first memories of wrestling are Swaggle winning the cruiserweight title and Kali. Uh, Arthur, are Arthur Ashe ticket sales good, uh, or are they hurt by uh, the altercation more than non PR impacts? Uh. WrestleTix had had a update on Arthur Ashe. I think they're at twelve thousand distributed. Um, this is, so they're not going to reach the twenty thousand or whatever it was that they reached last year. Um, I believe ticket prices are substantially higher. Their gate might end up being higher. Um, most of these ticket sales were made before the all-out fight, so I don't think that's having a huge impact. Um, I just think one thing: t- ticket prices are higher. But besides that. There was a novelty in, in this show happening for the first time. AEW was a lot hotter September last year than they were than they are September this year, coming off the the newness of CM Punk, the newness of Brian Danielson, and AEW was a hotter product a year ago. I think we've said this a couple times in recent episodes, but I, I, it's, it's getting clearer to me just how hot a period that was for AEW in August and September of 2021. Right. You're not going to be able to recreate the first few months of CM Punk's return to wrestling in eight years and also throwing in things like Brian Danielson jumping from from WWE to AEW. The first, you know, I know they sold a lot of the tickets before the match was announced, but Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson's for the, is a gigantic match that you're not going to be able to recreate. They have moved tickets well the past week or so since they kind of confirmed that it's going to be Moxley versus Danielson. Um, WrestleTix has been keeping track of kind of their daily tickets distributed since that match has been announced and the numbers are, are much healthier than you would see on a, I think on the, a normal week leading up to a, an AEW show so um, I would say that the, the ticket sales are Wrestle ticks is 12,471 12,000 and that's up that's like probably two I don't I don't want I don't want to say the wrong number but I think that's like 2,000 up since like last Monday um, I think they got to 10,000 in a few days. Mm-hmm. But say. then they stuck there for a while, which is generally what happens with AEW is that a lot of their tickets are sold right away. Um, and then they might add a, a little bit after that, but they really don't move that much after the first sale, as, which is very different than WWE, which WWE shows we've seen will start off kind of slow, but then pick up in the, the days leading up to it, the week leading up to it. Um, and I think, we can debate about why that is. WWE's fan base is more of a late arriving fan base. WWE is better and, and more aggressive at local advertising and things like that. WWE comps more tickets out, whatever you want to say. It's just the ticket selling pattern is a little bit different between the two companies. Um, credit to Louie for his first memories of wrestling are, are Hornswoggle winning the Cruiserweight title in Great Kali, and yet he's still a wrestling fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, 
Moving on, uh, MJ, just a comment. How does TK know it's a boom and not bots? <laughs> oh, fair, fair question. Fair question. <laughs> um, Primo Cologne is back, and uh, the summer or fall 2021 AEW was doing over a million. was usually when it did a .40 in the demo. Recently, we're seeing AEW do a million with .34 to .39 or more older audience watching. Oh, let me get the let me get the big spreadsheet out. So usually AW's audience is about fifty percent. Five zero, fifty percent in the demo. Um I have not noticed it being less in the demo. I mean I do have a lot of media nature which should which should highly correlate with that, I, I would think. Um I can probably pull up the median age chart, which would be fairly relevant to that. Um Median age, this will be hard to display. So if I look at the percentage of viewers that... So it was 510,000 viewers in the demo uh, this week for, for Dynamite, which is what what as a percentage. Um, let's see here. 510 divided by 1175. Uh, 43%. Let's... I'm just going to do a, a, a pivot table right on the air here. Let's uh, let's share this if I can. Uh, stop that share. Grab this. I'm going to put the uh, WrestleMania viewership spreadsheet on the screen, which you can get access to yourself at Patreon.com/slash/WrestleNomics. So I have to change this to two, and change this to this. And if I say I think I want the date here, and I want program in the Filters. We only want to look at dynamite. Here's dynamite, and we want to look at pro. Well, I guess we don't need to do that. So I need to look at P18 to 49, and I want to look at P2 plus, which is the total audience. People are seeing this, okay? Uh, the average that won't change it, but I need definitely need the average for this value, right? Good. Okay. So if I just divide the demo divided by the, the total audience, that divide that goes down percentage. Uh, so very early on, those early episodes had like 60% in the demo. Um, if we scroll if we go right to the bottom to see what we had most recently, 43%. So this is in the mid-40s, sometimes the low-40s lately. The mid-40s, if we look back, which is what Primo Cologne is asking, uh, the, about September, right? September 2021, summer, fall 2021, uh, where we had, if I just grab a section of, of time here from August to October, the average percentage that was in the demo was about 50%, 49.8%. And if we look at, I don't know, let's grab a handful of weeks going back to like the middle of July. Again, that was 50%. This is 44%. So we are seeing in a, a somewhat older audience. Yes. Well, Still probably different than... If I were to look at, let's say, what what is raw do by the same measure, just to give us some a little bit of context here, uh, if I populate that down, because raw has a much longer history. Raw is about a third in the demo. Wrestling fans tends to have an older audience. Yeah, I do wonder as we get as the the last boom of the last real boom for wrestling fans gets further and further away, will we see the fans? Who are currently holding up the eighteen to forty nine demo slip out of that demo or slip out of the eighteen thirty four demo? Um, 
Yeah. As you guys know, the Attitude Era was a very, very, very long time ago. It was like a million years ago. So the people that were made you fans during that, so. so so the people that were made fans during that time period are not necessarily going to be long in the eighteen to forty nine demo. So I, I would say whenever we're looking at TV viewership data, traditional TV viewership data, that uh, it has a bias toward being older. And um, I'm a year older than I was last year, in fact. So that's happening also. So if, so what I'm saying is that, you know, this is already this watching traditional TV is already something that people who are older tend to do. Correct. And as we get older we get older. <laughs> so that, that, that form of consumption, media consumption gets older over time, but that's, this is still exceeding one, one year per, uh, per, per year. Probably. Yes. AEW is typically, and Dave does this analysis every week. Typically AEW is the youngest skewing sports show, um, on television. Some, some weeks like an F1 race might beat it. Maybe there's yeah, a champions um... league game that does it, but AEW, even with maybe we could, you know, their audience, maybe if they're getting slightly older, is still younger than the NFL, the NBA, college football, baseball, hockey, whatever other sport you want to throw at it. So these are the median age data. This is this is a moving 13-week average. So 13 weeks is just one quarter of a year. This is the, this, These are the, the median age. This is a median age line chart that we're looking at here. And what's really remarkable just looking at this is how much older Rampage has gotten over time um, and how much SmackDown has separated from Raw. Raw has gotten younger over these last six months or so. SmackDown has gotten a little bit older. I would say it's mostly staying the same. Impact has gotten a little bit younger. NXT has gotten a little bit younger over the last six months or so. New Japan is the oldest show on, on U.S. television. Um, what I would say about this is that I, th- I think that was kind of what I was saying earlier that the younger people tend to be more selective with the traditional TV consumption and they're more open to watching. This is just a narrative that I'm, I'm extrapolating onto this data. Younger people are more open to watching raw. For some reason, they're not taking to SmackDown that bear- that's bared out in the ratings in-, in terms of the increases that we're seeing to viewership for raw and the decreases that we're seeing for rampage, which is coincided with its viewership getting older does this all make sense am i saying something that 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 that, that makes any, any sort of sense here yeah younger people are will i think they may be watching so this is a, a story that i'm laying on top of data but younger people may be following a given company waw but they're being a lot more choosy with whether or not they're going to sit down and watch this thing yeah. Whole show, and people that are more techno uh, savvy with their technology are going to be perhaps more comfortable missing an episode. It's not just DVR, but I know it's fairly easy for me to catch up on the major points of an episode of Dynamite if I miss it. I can go to their YouTube page the next day and watch the key segments and the conclusions to the key matches. I can search through stuff on social media. My dad misses his favorite television program. I don't know if he has the same capacity of to be able to catch up with it the way that I do because just his knowledge of technology is much lower and that could probably be used for a lot of older people versus younger people when it comes to the nece- finding it necessary to watch something live. Um, 
Yeah, I think there's, I don't, I don't know how to describe it in words, but really. when, when a show feels really newsworthy, it's a really big deal. The, the, the example I always bring up is the CM Punk debut on Rampage. And if you look at what we were, just for a second, we looked at the, the very early Dynamites had like 60% of their viewership within the demo. So I'm, I don't have the median age for those episodes, but I imagine it was quite low relative to what we're seeing today. Um, it's just when a program is actually relevant, to use a judgmental word, younger viewers tend to watch it more so than otherwise. What else we got, Golo? Um, we just had two super chat comments uh, from MJ, both from MJ. Uh, mer- mergers and acquisitions. Come on, guys, it's a business podcast. Well, now that'll I know be, for the future. That'll be on the next Jeopardy. Uh, and then MJ uh, saying, Jesse, go to live shows. The insights are invaluable and in studying the live business and consumer experience just my and he says more than two cents of course never um i go to live shows all the time i just haven't been to wwe shows and i have thought about going to wwe shows solely for the interest of studying like who is over at these shows and what kind of the audience reaction is but it's a tough ask i don't like wwe's products so (laughs) do i want to spend money and time on you know it's improved though look at the cage match ratings it hasn't like the product is more watchable than it was a few months ago. I think there is a the broader that it's the broader questions I have about the product at the moment is we've yet to see really any of Triple H's bigger booking plans um, unfold yet. We have we don't it isn't quite clear who he's going to actually push as a top star and where um, when are we going to really start seeing his fingerprints on the product outside of some some smaller changes and some more time allotted to wrestling I think that's ultimately what's going to make or break the sustainability of them getting some fans back recently is if the product over the long term feels significantly different and goes into a more exciting creative direction than what they're currently in now which seems to be mostly staying the course from what Vince um, had patterned alright we are all caught up that's it Okay. Yeah. Uh, plugs. Go, Justin. Um, not that much this week. I haven't written or podcasted anything outside of WrestleNomics. So um, just follow me at Jesse Collings, J-E-S-S-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-G-S on Twitter. Um, Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. That's up on YouTube. Just search Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast on YouTube. Our latest episode is talking with Nick Hausman of WrestlingInc.com. We talk about the CM Punk presser, of which he was the notable target of CM Punk's uh, ire originally, before he expanded his hatred to the wider wrestling media audience. Um, but he talks a lot about you know the kind of con- his experience being in these AEW media scrums, what he thinks um, of kind of like the other media that can be there. How do you ask difficult questions and make sure that you're invited back next time? those kind of things that are happening um really insightful stuff from nick i definitely recommend checking that out um but other than that that's 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 all that's been going on over here okay i did i did try to make a, a vectorization of your, of your logo it didn't work out well for me though it's okay uh Colo. well yeah just you could follow me chris gullo on uh, all social media outlets rti pod on twitter and instagram rediscover indies on facebook uh you know uh, just to catch up on our dragon gate usa episodes and then uh you can get a shirt, a Bowtie Mafia shirt uh, for uh, from Pro Wrestling Tees. You know, you not only support your favorite ring announcer, but uh, the best team in football. <laughs> are are you uh, are you stealing IP from uh, Bills? 
So here's the thing. Pro Wrestling Tees just issued a Bills inspired T-shirt that they just put out. Okay. 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 Must must pass them. Um, You you selling them outside of like um on like a cart outside of the stadium? Because you see like all the unlicensed Uh shirts are always sold. Are you going to the game um, Monday? Tomorrow? Oh yes, I will. I will be at the game on Monday. Monday night football. I took the day off work and uh, should be fun. Okay. Patreon.com slash wrestling. Obviously, you get access to the TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day. I've been posting quarter hours as well for all the WNAW shows. Uh, access to the Wrestling Observation spreadsheet, which we spent some, a little bit of time looking at uh, earlier. If you want access to that yourself, you can get access uh, by being a patron. You get slides to all the podcasts that we do, including this one. We just did, I, I, I don't know, we've been doing this, I think, four weeks in a row now. Gull and I on Thursday mm-hmm. evenings, just after the, um, the Dynamite rating comes out, we've been doing a. Uh, a highly caffeinated 30-minute podcast going over things such as whatever whatever is relevant in the trailing days, including the Dynamite rating and whatever whatever else is going on. Um, that's all I have for now. Uh, thanks, everybody, for, for listening. Thanks to Post Wrestling for being our podcast distribution partner. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye.